0: I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Tuesday. This is Seattle Now. Western Washington has a water supply system that's worked well for generations. But as the climate changes, our reservoirs are facing more and more stress. We're going to have to make some changes, and that will take time and cost money. Seattle Times climate change reporter Conrad Swanson is here to talk about it. But first, let's get you caught up. The Washington State Patrol says it will recommend charges for some of the people involved in an hours-long shutdown on I-5. The protest and blockade last month called for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war and the withdrawal of U.S. involvement. It shut down the northbound lanes south of Mercer Street, causing a six-mile backup. Seattle Times reports the patrol says it plans to recommend charges for at least six people and possibly more. The decision whether to charge ultimately will be made by King County prosecutors. More quality problems at Boeing. The company discovered improperly drilled holes in some of its 737 fuselages. It may delay deliveries of about 50 aircraft. The problem was discovered by Spirit Aerosystems, a major Boeing supplier. Both companies have faced intense scrutiny since an Alaska airline 737 MAX 9 was forced to make an emergency landing when a door plug blew out. And big news for the Seattle Storm. NECA Aguomake is coming to Seattle. She's an eight-time WNBA All-Star and was voted one of the top 25 WNBA players ever in 2021. Just last week, the Storm signed six-time All-Star Skylar Diggins-Smith. The Storm are looking to turn things around after a down season last year. They only won 11 of 40 games last season. Good for the second worst in the WNBA. Mount Baker Ski Area was supposed to host its yearly legendary banked slalom this weekend. The event's been running pretty much every year since 1985. Skiers who wanted to participate were anxiously awaiting updates, but got some bad news last week. Mount Baker Ski Area CEO Gwyn Howitt says it all while being pelted with sleet up on the mountain.
1: So we've lost uh, about 14 inches of snow base since sunday we've had over three inches of rain things have not been in our favor this week and the timing's <laughs> up no doubt about it
0: it's no secret that we get a lot of rain here in western washington but our water system also relies heavily on winter snow which we didn't see a lot of this year even up in the mountains to put it simply more rain means less water and down here in seattle just think back to this summer and fall We were running short, so Seattle Public Utilities requested we use less water. As our region's climate changes, we're going to need to get creative on how to keep our water supply steady. Conrad Swanson is here to talk about it. He's a reporter with the Seattle Times' brand new Climate Lab. Conrad, thanks for joining us. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me. So we've built a system here for our water supply using rainwater and snowpack. What is it and why isn't it working anymore? Yeah. So, I mean, if you live in Seattle
1: and some of the surrounding regions, you probably rely on Seattle Public Utilities for your water supply. That means two rivers are the source for our water. We either have the the Cedar River or the South Fork Tolt, and both of those systems have a reservoir on them. So every year we kind of have this cycle where the fall rains come, they start to fill the reservoir, and then eventually the rains start to freeze into snow, and that is essentially a third reservoir. It holds a massive amount of water, and it melts and flows into our reservoirs when there is more room to spare. And that's been uh, kind of the way it worked for generations and it's worked well for us. But now the atmosphere is warming thanks to climate change and those rains aren't freezing into snow and they're staying as rain. And that means we're losing that mountain reservoir, that mountain snowpack, and we can't capture all of that rainwater. Our reservoirs are fairly small relative to, like, if you think the Southwest, you think Lake Mead or Lake Powell, they are large enough to hold years worth of water. And we have reservoirs that are pretty small, really like a fraction of a percent of Lake Meter, Powell. Um, And with the rains that start to come, our reservoirs fill fairly quickly. Uh, And anything after that point, we essentially have to let flow downstream.
0: You know, it's really interesting because it seems so clear the way you explain it, how critical that snowpack is. It's like a reserve reservoir up there just waiting to melt and fill downstream. So we're learning now what it means to lose that snowpack. And sometimes it means canceling contests like the so-called legendary banked slalom on Mount Baker. But what does it really mean for our region? Well, it really touches every facet
1: of our life out here. I mean, this is the rainy place. And that was one of the things that drew me to this story is there's kind of a subtle irony in more rain being like a really bad thing for this region it's going to touch every part of our lives. Uh, probably the more immediate portions that you're going to see are going to relate to your water and your electricity bill. More rain means that we can't capture it all. That's going to mean less water supply for like drinking water, for your faucet, for your shower, for your garden or anything like that. So your bill's probably going to go up. And same for hydropower. We can't capture as much as we want that's going to uh hamper our hydropower generation and places like seattle city light are going to have to supplement off the grid uh it'll come to play with agriculture that's the biggest Draw on the the water source in this state by far, it's gonna have wildfire component uh it's gonna to touch on our salmon as well. We're gonna have low stream flows which can hamper the fish's uh, ability to survive and breed. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving something else out there as well, but really, anything that you can think of out here uh this this is gonna impact
0: yeah it's it's all connected. It sounds like Conrad, you know we did not get here overnight. I am curious who is thinking about fixes.
1: One of the things that was really encouraging when I was reporting this out uh, is that it caught nobody by surprise. I'm talking to utilities. I'm talking to hydrologists. Uh, I'm talking to water providers, uh, public officials, everybody across the spectrum. I talk to them and they go, oh, yeah, no, this is this is a thing. We're very well aware of it. And it's important to know that we do have time. This isn't something where we blink Uh, and tomorrow you're going to turn on the faucet and it's not going to be there. You're going to notice these effects. The folks that I'm talking to say years like uh, 2015 are kind of a glimpse into the future. Those types of years are probably going to be more common in the future, but it's not necessarily going to be every year. And these water providers know that this is the trend and they're saying, hey, here's where we're going to be 10, 20, or 50 years down the road. It's probably time to start thinking about this now, because if they need to expand a reservoir, build more storage, if they need to tap into a river, those sort of things take a long time to build out, to get the legal rights to the water. It's costly, it's time consuming. Um, And so it's more of a, hey, we know that this is happening, we need to start preparing now, because if we wait till 2060, it's going to be too
0: late. You know, I wonder about... Seattle Public Utilities and that call over the summer, the voluntary request to use less water. We did it. We actually did it. So I wonder if... Seattle Public Utilities could be more forward thinking and say, hey, you know, like this is actually a permanent state of mind that we should because they are preaching to the choir a little bit. No, totally. Um, and, you know, they make those calls out twice in their history.
1: They've made like mandatory calls and say, hey, like you you may not um, this summer most recently was like a voluntary call. And on both counts, they, they do work. They do save some water. They squeeze it out where, um, you know, we can get it. I think those types of calls, probably more voluntary right now than mandatory, uh, are probably in store for the future, depending on the year. It's not going to be every year, but during the bad years, I think folks can expect the utility to politely say, hey, like, maybe don't. Don't water your lawn right now, but it really depends on where you are as well. Because there were mandatory restrictions out on the peninsula, which has really low snowpack right now. And that's one of the really interesting things about the state is there are so many microclimates. Where you are is going to mandate a lot of the the factors on the ground for you, and who your provider is, who your utility is, and whether they say, uh, "Hey, please don't do this," or you may not do this. It it all kind of depends.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Seattle's uh, drinking water supply in the Chester Morse Reservoir in the Cedar River watershed reached its second lowest level on record just two months ago. That's from your reporting. What does that tell us? You know, you said we have some time here, but how much time do we really have to settle on long term solutions?
1: Yeah, uh, that's really the what do they say, the $64,000 question. right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's some years, maybe some decades. It's hard to say the reservoir operations are going to have to change. They can fill it a little bit higher, um, but then they've got to compensate for flood risk. If you get a really bad rainstorm, then you've got danger potential there. Uh, They can draw it lower, and they did uh, this most recent year, but you go too low and you've got some water quality concerns. But they've got some options that can kind of hold us over into, I guess, a few years from now. I think realistically, the folks over at Seattle Public Utilities have said they don't anticipate needing a new water source for about 30 or 40 years. But then I spoke to another guy, Ray Hoffman, over at the Cascade Water Alliance, uh, and he serves something like 400,000 people. So he's, he's a pretty big player in this neck of the woods as well. And he made a really important point, too, that's, you know, okay, maybe we've got 30, 40 years before we have to tap into this water supply, but we know that this type of work can take decades to accomplish, and and everything with climate change seems to be happening
0: sooner, so we really have to take that into account. You know, I wonder how people should be thinking about what you just said, because it is inevitable, right, that we will have to adjust our water source, given what's happening with the climate, but it's very telling about how long it takes us to build infrastructure and how behind the eight ball we could become very quickly
1: yeah absolutely i mean it's it's something that folks have known and have planned for we've got you know x number of years uh we can anticipate it's going to take i don't know 10 20 years to build out this water source so we got to plan accordingly it's kind of simple math then you got to take into account climate forecasts saying well what if this happens a little bit sooner and we could wind up Behind the eight ball, um, folks here seem to have had uh, a lot of foresight, if you go back some generations, and really set us up for success now. It's an inflection point for the people living and working in, in this region now to say, how do we set future generations up for success? Uh, we're not in nearly as bad a shape, I would say, as like the American Southwest. They're they're far more behind the eight ball than we are.
0: Before I let you go, Conrad, where are the hurdles that you can see here? It depends who you
1: ask. From
0: where I'm sitting we really
1: need to acknowledge the situation that we're in. This is kind of a politically divisive climate. It's kind of difficult to get some folks to agree on the facts. You got to acknowledge that we've got this situation first and keep an open mind. It's less a solutions mindset. I think you you find a lot of people saying like, hey, we've got this thing and we need this to solve it and then we'll be good. Really what we need is a flexibility mindset to say we've got more variability coming Uh, from the climate. That means that we're going to have higher highs, lower lows, more downpours, et cetera, et cetera. And we need to build our system around that to be able to say, Here's where we know the forecast is a month out so we can adjust our reservoirs, our waterways, our water use accordingly. Because if we start to think about it like, okay, we built this one reservoir, we're good. We're just going to find another situation down the road where we're in this and we got to spend billions of dollars, 10 or 20 years to get out of it. It's better just to be more flexible moving forward, I
0: would say. Conrad Swanson, reporter with the Seattle Times, New Climate Lab, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your reporting.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. and extra thanks to the generous listeners who financially support this show. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain-Gomez, Claire McGrain, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts.